Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Podcast Daily. It is Thursday, and I'm sorry. I'm back. <laughs> I I know how much everybody enjoyed the first three dailies of the week that I wasn't here to talk about golf or say all the things that I was wrong about from Ohio State spring camp, but tough. I'm here. Berm's not. Bill Landis is right there. And uh, I'm sorry. You're stuck with me again. <laughs> Deal with it. Deal with it, America. We, need, uh, we needed you back. We needed you back. Well, I'm glad to be working my way back to full strength. I don't like being on the unavailability report. It's not for me. Um, it well, sucks. at least we know why. At least we know why you weren't available. We appreciate that much. <laughs> Yeah, I think that it's important to be transparent and honest. And Ryan Day, by the way, has been that throughout spring camp when it comes to injuries. I think that that's a great concept and something that should continue. He did that uh, on Wednesday, unprompted, bringing up Devin Brown's injury. He's talked about that you know, going into camp, with whether that was Julian Fleming or Emeka Ibuka or when Xavier Johnson or Steel Chambers picked up injuries. It's so much more, I don't know, Comfortable to be around the team when there's not a bunch of secrecy and, uh, you know, let's hide this this fact and mask up this injury. Like, it doesn't hurt anything. It helps everyone when you lay out the situation, including the players, which I think is the point that I tried to make last year. When they're not performing to their maximum ability, they like you to know that there might be a reason for that. Yeah, I think it's good. It's helpful for everybody. I'm I'm happy to see that it's it it, it appears to be transitioning. I don't want to say that it's changed because who knows what it might be like yeah. in the fall. But but I I think that I think that they realized that they were doing their players a disservice by not being forthcoming with that information. Like, I, listen, perfect world, no one gets hurt. But when when someone does get hurt, I think you want to be able to express that in as much detail as possible because it's just like better to understand that context. So like we know that Devin Brown injured his throwing hand and. He'll be out for a few weeks, like, and that's enough. Like, I don't, we don't. That's great. We can we can kind of move on from that now, and we kind of know what the deal is. We'll be back in the summer, and like, no one has to freak out about what it means or when he'll be back or like the extent of of the of the injury. Like, we we know the deal, and I think everyone's more comfortable in that world. Do you think it's like it's? I start with the premise that it's not a big deal. Like, none of the injuries I believe that Ohio State has suffered or dealt with are are able to are likely to last into August. I don't think there's any long-term injuries that Ohio State has suffered. So that being said, does it make it more difficult for you to evaluate the ceiling for this team with mm. the number of guys that have been out? Or do you just assume, well, hey, Tommy Eichenberg is going to be out there. We know what he can do. Steel Chambers will be healthy. You know, you put Julian Fleming and Emeka Ibuka out there. They're ready to roll. Um, how much of that do you think has really impacted Ohio State in spring? That's a good question. I, I I feel like there's 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 two sides to it, right? Like if you see if you see stuff at linebacker, they're like, man, I don't know, that doesn't look good enough. But you remind yourself that like Tommy and Steele are going to be back eventually. Not not to say that I that I saw that. I'm just using that as an example. I think the linebacker play has actually looked pretty good, even with those guys out this spring. But like it does give me like all this praise where. I don't want to say praise we're heaping upon the secondary, but like the the good vibes around the secondary, I think have to come with the caveat that the only receiver, starting receiver from last year who was out there practicing is Marvin Harrison Jr. And he's not even practicing that much. They pull him out a lot of out of a lot of the, the scrimmage stuff. So what does that actually mean for like you want to talk about ceiling? It's like I don't know. Like it it it, it, give, it just gives me 
pause to set that ceiling too high doesn't mean that all those guys in the secondary haven't made strides. I think they have like simply watching them move around and like the way they carry themselves, I think, I think is, is a thing. And those guys are to a man just seem much more confident than they were um, at points last season. And I guess it's easier to be confident at, at this time of year than it is during the season when you're going through games and stuff. But, but I think that still matters. Um, I, I think on some level it, it, it does limit the the ability to figure out exactly what you have. Um, now, like you know how good a Mecca book is, and you know what Julian Fleming gives you. I think maybe for for Jim Knowles in particular, it might be a little difficult to kind of gauge the trajectory of the defense when you're missing a couple starters, and then the guys who you look at and say, like, man, they're playing really well, aren't always going up against the best competition. Yeah, it's been interesting at those spots because you think, especially at linebacker, well, that – you just don't need the reps. Even though Steel Chambers would probably benefit from wrapping up camp, he's we've made this big deal out of him moving over from the offense and like, you know, well, this would still be the first full spring or you know, second full spring for him. Like, how much more progress can he make? I don't think he necessarily needs that. We know that Tommy Eichenberg doesn't. So like giving Cody Simon more reps, getting CJ Hicks on the field, you'd think that's nothing but a positive. Um, conversely, it seems like it makes it more challenging to your point about figuring out what you have at running back because Mayan Williams has barely practiced. Travion Henderson has not you know, been able to go through any team periods. Evan Pryor uh, has still been limited as he comes back from his uh, ACL injury last fall. You've done all that work with Dallin Hayden and Chip Trainum, and it's great for those two, but you're talking about three more pieces potentially plus whatever they want to do with Xavier Johnson – um, in some sort of hybrid role where you haven't had any opportunity to figure that out. Now, you do have a full month of August, and as Ryan Day alluded to on Wednesday, basically twice as many practices within that one month as you get in March and April. So there's plenty of time to figure that out or figure out the wide receiver rotation, but not every spot is the same. Like I don't think that that was a pure benefit at running back to have to give extra work to chip and down at running back and not have those other three involved. Like That probably wasn't as ideal yeah that that position that might be specific to that position and maybe maybe only that position but but i i think you're you're probably right because it, it's it's ended up in a place where i like I, I i don't know i'm trying to figure out how to say this is i don't want to say something crazy but like i legitimately think that all five of those guys can start for ohio state so like how how are you supposed to progress forward without like a body of work from three very important players not being there um I don't know. Like we talked about it before with Tony Alford, like that, that it's almost like a thing you would rather have not, if not settled, like at least an idea in your mind of how this is going to work, going into camp so that like you're not spending the first two weeks trying to figure that out before mm-hmm. you do anything else. Um, I, I, I think running back, if it was going to happen anywhere, maybe you want it to happen there because I think that's probably the closest thing to like a plug and play position that you have in football, but it's not ideal. So that, that is probably the one area where I look at and be like, maybe it is to their detriment that they weren't didn't have a full boat there. But otherwise, I I think it's by and large okay. And and much of it too was stuff they were prepared for coming into spring. Like there there have been guys that have picked things up during spring practice, but a lot of the guys we're talking about are guys that we knew weren't going to be available coming into spring. So they could at least have formulated a plan or or frame their mind the right way coming into practice, knowing that. Try the only other one that I think is really of consequence in trying to figure out what Ohio State is going to look like and how you know 
Jim Knowles year two is going to look defensively is not having Mitchell Melton because it seems like all other plans for the Jack have been put on hold until he can play that position. And that's, that's a lot to put on his shoulders because he's been hurt for basically his entire career at Ohio state outside of some practices in a really good spring before he got injured in the spring game last year. Um, like you've made this point and it just seems like the Jack is not relevant to the personnel that Ohio state has on hand right now. And that maybe they don't need to use it. And that sort of flies in the face of his long-term philosophy. So they're, they're going to go into August, like banking on Mitchell Melton being ready to go. And then maybe using CJ Hicks there, but because of the situation then at linebacker, they couldn't really take him away from that and give him reps in the Jack and let him learn that in Springs. Like, some of these things kind of cascaded onto each other. And I'd never really considered this fact that like we talked about the depth, the numbers in the depth being relatively low, at least from where Larry Johnson would want it to rotate. And then Ryan Day is like, well, the reason that we can't scrimmage on Saturday or have a, a split squad game is because the defensive line only has five defensive ends. It's like that also played a part in them not being able to do stuff with the Jack. So that that's one position that was really impacted by spring injuries. And again, we're perhaps making too big a deal out of it. Probably almost certainly are since it's April, but that's another spot that you just kind of look at Like if you're trying to project out the ceiling, you really don't know. It almost, yeah, it just, it it makes me feel, I don't know, somewhat, somewhat stronger in my opinion that like, maybe they're just not going to do it much next year. I just, if in the back of Jim Knowles mind, he thought he thinks to himself, like this is going to be, Whatever, even, I think last year is like fifteen percent of what they did. If it was going to be between fifteen to twenty percent of what they do in the fall, how could you not do some of it now? Even, even if yeah. Mitchell Melton is not is not available, because like, like shouldn't so, like shouldn't Caden Curry be doing some of this stuff or CJ Hicks or like just to see what it looks like, give it a try, see if it see if it fits, if it doesn't, and then kind of move on from there. But like to put one to put all the eggs of that or all those particular eggs in one basket of Mitchell Melton of a guy who's not played. Um, and I don't know, like, I hope he does, but there's, there's the track record suggests that, that maybe he won't, I, I don't know what's going to happen. He hasn't been on the field yet in four years, um, to leave that up the chance and just like, Oh, we'll wing it from there. Like, I don't know that that was kind of an odd way of going about it. And, and my only conclusion with, of, of, from that is that maybe I still think it's part of the long-term vision, but in the immediate 2023 vision for Jim Knowles' defense, maybe, maybe it's not. And that, I mean, I think it's fine if, if, if it isn't, I think they're good, going to be good enough on the edge if, if they don't use that position, but to like talk about it and, and make it seem as if it's still going to be a thing they want to do. And then just like to not do it all in the spring was, was kind of odd to me. And I guess I had never considered like the injury that the lack of depth beyond the obvious of Mitchell Melton and how that might've impacted things. I guess that makes sense. But I still think there's a way you could have worked around some of that to do to some of that work this spring because they, they did it last spring. Like they had Mitchell Melton doing stuff, and we, it's all we talked about with Jack Sawyer last spring. I don't know why they couldn't do some of it this spring. Yeah, it's you pick a guy and try it, right? That's that's yeah, part of the experimentation this time of spring. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can at least come up with ideas. We can talk about it. That's. That's the extent of what we're We have to ideas do. about ideas. <laughs> you can always have ideas about ideas. You kick them around, you float them around, you throw them off them up on the board, and then you, you know, don't do them until August. That's did we talk just, about that by the way? The when, you, when Sam Hart was in the backfield and you and I looked at each other like, huh? huh? I don't. Huh? I don't think we did. No, I don't think we did. <laughs> yeah, what was that? It was during red zone, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, and Keenan Bailey put a put. It wasn't like a, it wasn't the I formation. It was like an offset kind of deal. But they're being very secretive about what they're going to do with this position that never touches the ball. <laughs> but uh, when we looked out there, that practice we were at that at last time on last Friday, right? Uh, it was Sam Hart doing a little bit of in lot or interior blocking, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, for as uh, closely as I've monitored that situation, for us to not talk about that on Friday <laughs> was a huge missed opportunity. It almost completely escaped my mind. We were dealing with so many other things that felt more pressing, like looking at quarterbacks and the offensive line. But hey, we've seen that insert package work a lot for Ohio State. Like it's a, and if you're trying to find more ways to succeed in the red zone, that's a pretty good way of doing it, in my opinion. But what do I know? I'm just a man. We're just we're just guys talking about football. But I, yeah, that's uh. That isn't. Who knows if that's the direction they're going to go? I don't. I don't know if it is. Um, he's a big dude to be doing that stuff. He's like six five. Yeah. But um, it's interesting, like that they're even like trying it. That they're even like just sort of th- again the idea of like throw a guy out there and see how it goes. Um, it seems like they are at least interested in that that f- thought process on the offensive side of the wall. Um, I kind of wish they were in that thought process on the defensive side of the wall more often. <laughs> um. Let's just wrap up an injury Thursday episode of the daily. Do you think that the hand injury for Devin Brown is a big deal at all? Um, it's probably like when Ryan day first said it, I was like, Whoa. And then I don't know, like a few minutes later thinking about it as he was still talking, I was like, you know what? I, I don't think it's a major deal. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a major deal. I think as, as long as he can get back in the summer and have have a, like a normal June and July building up to August, or like mostly normal June, out there throwing with the guys, like maybe probably maybe throwing with like a Mecca and Julian, assuming they can do some stuff by then. Um, a lot of that extra work that I think goes a long way in a competition like this. Um, I don't. I don't think it has to be like any kind of considerable setback for him. It, it is a setback, but but the degree of which I, I'm not entirely sure, but. Um, I guess I would choose to to take the more optimistic side of that and say no, um, especially at this point in the spring. Like if it had happened earlier, like you said on uh, the snap judgments on Wednesday, if that had happened earlier and he missed all of spring, then yes, of course. But he's gotten in eighty percent of spring practice before that injury happened, so um, I think he can make up for lost time when he gets back. Yeah, there were a couple people that uh, asked about you know the parallels here, like oh. This happened to Joe Burrow. He had a hand injury when he was trying to compete with Dwayne Haskins, and then he was never able to recover. Um, Not everybody thinks that, but a couple people did ask. It's not – the situations are – other than it being a position battle and a broken bone in a hand, the similarities are going to to end there. Uh, Joe Burrow, when he got hurt, that was before the 2017 season. It was in training camp. There were, I think, maybe 10 days until the opener – he and Dwayne Haskins were not competing to be the starter. They were competing for the backup job behind JT Barrett. And effectively, that did concede the backup job to Dwayne Haskins that year. He was able to get those reps off the bench, and then he was in position to come uh, in and rescue Ohio State in that comeback win in the big house. And that, in turn, gave him the edge that he did not relinquish the following spring. Joe Burrow was healthy enough to compete at that point. He did a great job of doing so. Um, but those situations being late in training camp 
and then not being healthy enough to start the year and Devin Brown having this happen in the last week of spring camp uh, are very different. So that's just, you want to draw conclusions. You want to compare that to 2018. Uh, I understand the impulse to do so, but it doesn't look like it's going to have any of the same kind of impact short-term or long-term for Ohio State that that may have for Joe Burrow. It is uh, a bit ironic, perhaps, but um, aside from that, I think I think you're right. It's And it goes back to what I said. Like, I just don't think there's enough – like, there's not enough runway for Kyle McCord to, like, take the opportunity and really pull away because Devin can't practice. So um, – and that is, like, the major, major difference in these two scenarios. But um, Devin, like, has been compared to Joe since he arrived on <laughs> campus, and, and now this is happening for him, too. It is, it is a bit weird. Oh, no, I hadn't thought about that. It was another – Another entry into the Joe Burrow file. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an unfortunate one. Like I said, I do feel I feel bad for him, but uh, well, it doesn't sound super serious. So look what happened to Joey B once he was able to get over that hand injury. That's right. It Just, sounds like Devin Brown's going to win a Heisman in a national championship. Be the first pick in the draft. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> um, was there anything else that I missed this week that you really think I need to talk about? You guys did a great job on the daily without me. Too good, in fact. Uh, I won't. I won't make you answer the Josh Proctor question that I asked Berm earlier in the week. <laughs> um, buying or selling? Yeah, buying or selling Josh Proctor. There's nothing left to buy. You bought all of it. I'm um, holding it. I'm holding <laughs> <yeah>. it. <laughs> um, no, like I think, and like even some of the stuff we talked about, like. I, I after Ryan Day was like, you know, like I wear a headset, but Brian's calling the spring game. Like that, that further makes me feel like Brian Hartline's going to do the job in the fall. Like I, I like some of the stuff we talked about earlier this week. I felt like like crystallized a little bit for me on Wednesday. There was a lot. Like I was not expecting to get everything we got out of that Ryan Day press conference uh, when we walked in there on Wednesday morning. I was expecting like, oh, this is a spring game format. Cool. I guess we'll try to figure out something to write about it. And then he just like <laughs> dropped 80 things on us. So yeah, uh, I guess I'm, I'm thankful for that because the alternative would have been uh, bleak leading up to the game. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't think we were even able to get to close to all of it in snap judgments on Wednesday. Like I, I had to go back through the transcript again. I was like trying to process all that we learned initially. And I'm like, I got tripped up over the quarterback. I'm like, well, it's Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. And then tons of offensive line talk and then everything else just kind of blanked out. Like, well, I'm going to go listen to this again because there was a lot of stuff in there, uh, especially, which I know you were interested in the desire to go to some 13 personnel. Oh yeah. He really slipped in there. Oh yeah. I'm, uh, I've done, I've done a 180 on this. I've gone from abandon the tight end position to put as many of them as you possibly can on the field. <laughs> um, I don't know how that happened, but, uh, yeah, it was I I was more intrigued by like how he got to that point which was that the staff gets together and ranks like the entire offense and figures out the uh, I I guess how do offensive linemen factor into that? What they if don't. what they if don't. you rank them in the top 7 or offensive linemen? Then what do you do? That's the bison package for you. <laughs> Not that that's the case this year, I don't I don't think, but um yeah, it was it was I I wish like they have like sort of led us behind the curtain a little more about like how they talk about the roster and formulate ideas this spring, which I've which I've appreciated. But now, like all I want to do is sit in that meeting and rank offensive playmakers with them and figure out how we get four tight ends on the field. Yeah, it. 
I sort of knew that they did that, but it was more like Kevin Wilson used it as an example when when the tight end target and usage rate would come up. He would say, well, why don't you make a list of the guys that you want to touch the football and then tell me how, how many you get before you get to a tight end. Are you telling me that you want Jeremy Ruckert to touch it more than Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson or Jackson Smith and Jigba? If so, then you would adjust it accordingly. And so he would, it was more of a roundabout way. And I'm like, you don't actually sit down and do that, do you? He's like, just think about that for a second. And when you, you're not including the running backs in there, you want both, maybe you want uh, J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber to both touch the football. Then what does that mean for the number of times you want to throw to the tight end? So it's and it's never a knock on these guys because they're NFL caliber tight ends. They're very good, and they may touch the football more at the next level than they do at Ohio State. But when they are at Ohio State, they're often surrounded by NFL wide receivers and NFL running backs, and they yeah. tend to make the offense go. So I guess I guess I knew that that was the mentality of the staff, but I would very much like to see the actual list. I I know who's at the top of the list. At least at least no. we know that you know that much. And uh, yeah. a hearty congratulations to Jelani <laughs> Thurman for being number one. Uh, <laughs> just kidding, he's not. Uh, I don't know. I wonder. Like I, the thirteen personnel stuff, I think is probably like their adjustment to not having an obvious sixth offensive lineman to play, like they had with Donovan Jackson two years ago and Josh Fryer this year. I just don't know who that would be. Like maybe Enoch Fumahi, but aside from him, I don't. I'm, there's like no obvious candidate there. Um, and honestly. While I like that package, I'm I'm never going to be against putting more offensive linemen on the field. I do like to put another guy out there who's like a threat to catch the football. So um, if that means getting a third tight, like a third real tight end on the field, I think I'd be in favor of that. I the only reason that I bring it up is I'm I'm interested by the idea that if Jelani Thurman is going to get on the field, and it doesn't have to be Jelani Thurman, I think you can probably make a case that. He and G. Scott are are more similar than dissimilar at this point for what they would likely do. But if you're building a group that you could be talking about Cade Stover, Joe Royer, and either Jelani Thurman or G. Scott, that's maybe you know two guys who have played wide receiver, another who has the ability to do that, and then Cade Stover who can do all the things you want. Like you could get to some real, you know mind games for a defensive coordinator to try and figure out what that package could do and how you defend it. We're getting like way ahead of it because it's probably not something they would show more than three or four or five times in a game. If we're being honest, but like, yeah, you could put it on the field in almost any situation and you could still take shots downfield. You could still get into a, a power running formation. You could show a power run in third and short and then spread out and throw the football. Like that's, that that flex they have that flexibility at tight end at a way that's goes beyond just like you have Jeremy Ruckert and Luke Farrell, like two tight ends that you really count can count on and maybe one who can block. Like this is a group that can really expand the arsenal. It yeah, I think I think you're right. Like I I am the most excited, I think, about the potential of the tight end group as I've been since I started covering the team because of just like the versatility, different body types, different backgrounds of, of skill set. Um, and I'm also interested to see, like, I don't, I don't think we'll see this on Saturday cause there's no really, no real benefit to showing any of it. But like, if you go back and look at 
some of the stuff that Justin Fry was involved with at UCLA, like they were pretty creative in like weaponizing the tight end position. Now, some of that is because they didn't have the receivers on hand that Ohio State has. And I understand like you, you have to make that balance and you're not going to take, I don't know, Emeka Buka off the field just for the sake of doing so. <laughs> but um, I think like if Justin Fry is going to have more of a voice um, than he had last year because he's now the run game coordinator, maybe that could potentially lead to using that position somewhat differently or more creatively than Ohio state has done in the past. Yeah. I still think at the end of the day in the red zone, I would like to see the return of the KJ Hill and Chris Olave, you know, routes and, and that stuff Mm -hmm. more than 13 personnel, but like there's no, no downside to having more things in your toolkit if you need, but we'll see. We won't see Saturday, I guess. We'll we won't see. see Saturday. I, yeah, I hope we do. That'd be great if we did, but I'm not getting my getting my hopes up uh, too yeah, much for that. Bring back the diamond formation. You know, yeah. get get some red zone quarterback packages out there. Just just bring everything. All of the fun it, gadgets <laughs> that we've talked about that were never really going to be used. Well, they don't do that stuff like in the real games anyway. They like do it against Indiana. Like, oh, that was cool. I hope they do that again. Or they do it against Michigan State. It's like, where did all these plays come from? And they don't use them again. So just do them in the spring game. Let's have some fun. Yeah, Ryan Day seems to have a real vendetta for Michigan State. I don't know sure, where that came He sure from. does. <laughs> I love it. It, it makes, for, uh, makes for easy snap judgments at halftime the last couple of years. It's, <laughs> I fully embrace that part. Something, uh, something tells me that that trend might continue. The ability yeah. to write halftime snap judgments when they play Michigan State. Yeah. What, they just like randomly kick a couple guys off their staff this week. Like what, Mel Tucker, what are you doing? <laughs> I'd really like to know. Cashing that ten million dollar check—that's what he's doing. Well, good, good for him. That buyout's fully guaranteed, I think. So, wow. Um, good luck to you, Michigan State. Great decision. <laughs> what an interesting place to have wrapped up here on yeah. the podcast daily for Thursday. Yeah, it was. But hey, you know, sometimes when you have no plan, you get to a destination, a beautiful destination that you weren't expecting. And I think that we did that, or at least, at least I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. We have we have uh, some fun stuff we want to do, like before the spring game. But we just like we need Berm here to do it, so we don't we don't want to we don't want to do it without him. That would have been mean. Yeah, no, it, we're gonna try and do that one way or another. There will be drafts involved. That's um, right. Hopefully, multiple kinds, but we'll see. Um, two days away from the Ohio State spring game. Uh, if you're thinking about going, it's always uh, an enjoyable chance to get your eyes on the Buckeyes, and it's going to be great weather. Even Berm is not nervous about the forecast this week, so you know it's going to be special. Um, looking forward to that. We'll also have uh, a couple more things coming your way, both here on the podcast and at ohiostate.rivals.com, so check out that. You, If you want to join us over there, uh, you can use code DTE30 and get a month for free on us. Um, if you just want to hang out with us here, that's fine too. We appreciate you uh, watching the podcast daily or listening, however you choose to consume it. For Bill, I'm Austin. Glad to be back, and we'll talk to you later.